welcome to DevSecOps episode 12. Today is just uh, André and Julien, which is me. <laughs> no, uh, let's, let's not do that. me. Hmm. Matthias is chilling somewhere. Hope, we hope that he is having a good time. Yeah, good holiday. It's good time to have a time off and relax, spend some time with family. And today is kind of special episode. We're saying it every time, but today it is, again, a special episode because we're in uh, Julian's kitchen. <laughs> Today we're recording together, not on the computers. Like finally, uh, physical. The, the first way. time we we do it physically. Cheers! Cheers! Okay, With sorry. a good tea, yeah. bancha tea for those who like Japanese tea. Yeah. So, what okay. is it today? A topic? What what you have in stores, Julian? So we we had a lot of topics. We want we always want to talk about so many things, but uh, one thing that came out is the topic of scaling. Like, what does scale mean? Mm. Jordan just told me that he's writing one blog post a year. And this year, he chose to write about scaling. But, yeah, let's see where it gets us. The, well, it, it's optimistic, one blog post a year. I, I think I just want to... Sometimes it's more note-taking. I, mm. I don't think anybody read my read my blog. <laughs> At least not that I know of. If it's you, you if the, you might be the one <laughs> reading it. Oh. At least I found it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's probably like the the the, the most well hidden blog post ever. Mm. Um, but um, so yeah, the the, the idea is that. I see people, and mainly if you follow what's going on on you know social media, when you look at uh, Twitter, LinkedIn, and everybody is talking about Kubernetes and scaling and how many nodes some mm. company is uh, running, and I find that most companies really don't need all that fluff. Probably not. Uh, so, and it came out a few times where people were telling me, yeah, we, we have too much scale, we cannot manage. And then I I just asked, like, how many requ- requests per second do you have? Because it's like a good, good uh, I would say, measure. It's a good mm. metric to mm. know, like, okay, what what does scale, mm. what does high scale mean to you or yeah. high load? Yeah. And so I, I would like to know your your opinion about that before. Yeah, I, will, I would go from the different end, actually. Not defining, like, the high load, but scaling in general and in my mind, like when people say scaling, I mostly think auto scaling. So for me, scaling is reaction of my workload capacity or elasti- elasticity of my workload capacity reacting on uh, some factor, causing it either to scale out or scale in. So for instance, I'm getting more load, and uh, CPU load might be one of the criteria, and then I need more capacity to distribute it evenly. So one server in a cluster is not overworked and then the whole thing scales out and then I somehow distribute the load. So it's not enough only to scale, but there is also have a need to distribute the load in some way. And like, not to make it AWS shop again, like AWS <laughs> Today podcast, but like if you think on AWS uh, terms and like, like basic primitives, you have easy to instances, you would have yield beyond front of it. And you could have all these two instances in the auto scaling group. And then you can configure auto scaling group to watch for a certain metric. So, for instance, as soon as your server is getting lower that CPU load up to 80%, you can start adding more EC2s. And 
load balancerable, even the distribute the load. Well, depends on your session stickiness preferences, obviously. But uh, then as the scale goes down, other scaling group can bring the number of nodes back down and you don't need to do anything. And that's the best thing, right? This is what, mm-hmm. we, this is what we want to do. We want to sit down in Julian's kitchen, drink some tea and don't think that suddenly we need to log in and add servers. Yeah, because that podcast. just happen automatically mm-hmm. because machines are better than humans in doing this, right? Definitely, definitely. The, the so, so if I understand correctly, for you, scaling is uh, more when we talk about auto-scaling, when... Yeah, pretty much. So, like, reacting on uh, on the events from the external or internal events and adjusting capacity to accommodate the current conditions so the workloads are available and business goals and KPIs are met. Mm. So that's what's scaling for me. So, but um, in that sense, it requires a distributed system. It requires certain prerequisites, yes. So you cannot just have one EC2 and have like DNS name, like C name attached to its IP address, right? And having all traffic coming in there and then suddenly you want to auto-scale it. No, that's not going to work. Again, you need to have like uh, some primitives implemented. Like if you think of Kubernetes, right? You have um, HP, horizontal pod auto-scaler. Yeah. So that's a program that monitors metrics of pods and then makes a decision if it needs to increase number of replicas in deployment. So this is how it works. The same in AWS, you have some entity that makes a decision. In some systems, you don't have that entity provided to you. And in some cases, you have to write it your own, like your custom logic, which is surprisingly hard. Mm-hmm. I mean, you might think like, Well, there is more load, we add more stuff, there is less load, but then you also have like cool down period, right? So you don't want to scale down too fast because the load might come in spikes or you might react to the load in different pattern because like if you have a, a lot of a, a load coming to you, like for instance, you have a viral event or someone did- dedosing you, you need to react very quickly. But if your thresholds are too sensitive, you might start to scale too often and incur the cost you don't want. It's actually like the whole science of doing it. Yeah, and the the, the time of uh, predicting when, when is the good time to scale, yeah. when is the good time to scale down is also an art more than a, and a science and there's a lot of fine-tuning to, yeah, exactly. to that. So the, the, the reason I wanted to talk about scale is because it means a lot of things to a lot of people. Okay. And... and, and uh, I heard the phrase a lot that oh we at at our scale it won't work. Hmm. You understand? Like yeah. so when someone no. say oh no we 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 process too much information, mm. it it's not going to work. Especially when it comes to logging. Mm. For some reason, yeah. people thought that uh, storing log files was free, mm. and there is those logging companies that just like <laughs> they just like come to me here. And then you receive the bills, and it's in the order of millions. Yeah, the best one developer adds the debug log and forgets to remove it. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> This is the typical use case. And and when uh, you know many years ago when I was on prem, it it didn't happen that uh, disk didn't get like disk was getting full all mm. the times, yeah. like all the time. It it was not. Uh, It was almost predictable. Mm. And the thing is that it's always an outage and someone getting pinged in mm. the middle of the night just because of the logs. And um, 
There are many things to that. But what I wanted to say about scaling is that what scaling means to me. Mm. And I, I start from, I, I research the topic a bit, like showing like what, what, is, what is really scale? What do you say do, to do software at scale? Right. Do you mean the people or do you mean the, the, the data, the request you process, or mm. the, the customer you have? Right. And I found that uh, if you're just having a website, mm. what does it mean to have a website at scale? Like eBay, it's a web- right. website at scale. They mm. have like millions of requests. Mm. meeting the servers like literally you, you cannot have one machine handling that mm. but for most application couldn't that be that one server could host the whole website yeah probably for majority and the, so th- that's the point and I was like uh, what, what is the threshold and I came by doing some research uh, actually the simplest way was to mm. go to look at Wikipedia there is a, the C10K problem so C10K problem... Um, so it's like C10K. So yeah. C, C the the 10 as a number, and K. And okay. K, yeah. It's actually the 10,000 concurrent connection problem. All right. So, so it was... Um, Nginx was created to solve that problem. Mm. I mean, all I'm saying now is uh, just repeating what the Wikipedia page is saying. But the idea is... That now the hardware is not the bottleneck anymore. Mm. Like hardware can handle the and any Linux box basically, mm. not without fine, you know, deep fine tuning yeah, can yeah. handle ten thousand concurrent connection per second. Okay. How many businesses in the world really have ten thousand concurrent? The need for ten thousand concurrent connection per second. Well, depends on the quality of their developers because some developers can generate that internally. Yeah, and, and I feel that we somehow it's like a chicken and egg problem where we want to scale, but actually we never scale the we never scale the hardware yeah. vertically. So meaning mm-hmm. we we don't add more uh, RAM or CPU. Yeah. We we scale horizontally because mm-hmm. that is a much you can scale much higher. You know, like uh, adding new instances is probably a, a less painful migration process mm. than just migrating to a bigger box, let's say. Yeah. Uh, the, the it's actually becoming a reality, right? So, like, there are a lot of talk about horiz- uh, or vertical scaling now. Yeah. So, like, vertically scaling ports, making actually ports bigger, increasing their limits. Yeah, because it, they realize that making a distributed system is actually extremely, exponentially more complicated than mm. actually scaling vertically. Yeah. So, so, adding more RAM and CPU is actually a very inexpensive process mm. to, to do. And so the idea is that, for, and that's what scale, that's the threshold for me. Yeah. Like above 10,000 concurrent requests per second, right. this is what I call high scale. Coming from the different entities. Yeah, of course, of course. But it's more like um, if your business needs, mm. um, if your, your customer Make more than ten thousand requ- less than ten thousand requests per second. You could theoretically mm. host that on a single machine. Okay. Assuming that software you write is good and not doing like yeah, yeah of course, of course, of course. I'm not sure a, a database can handle yeah. uh, ten thousand um, concurrent connection per per second. Yeah, there are like caching, read replicas. So exactly. You could work it out. Exactly. So so, I mean. The, the the reason I <laughs> is my yearly blog <laughs> article mm. was really like okay do, j- just stop for a second and ask let's ask ourselves 
do we really need this di distributed system? Because mm. it's more for me, it's more like this. You you want to build a house, mm. right? You you go see an architect, you mm. get the blueprint, mm. and you start building the house. Yeah. But from that house, you're not building a skyscraper, mm. or you're not building a whole community, mm. because it's it's a different problem. You know, at, at scale, the same thing at scale is a, is a completely totally different problem. Yeah. So building a software that can handle less than ten thousand. Yeah, it's, connection it's, it's a completely different problem. It's a completely different problem. And I think that that's the, the catch that many people uh, miss is that, oh, now we have Kubernetes. Let's, mm. let's just add more nodes and scale mm. the pods, which is tremendously simpler than, mm. you know, five years ago even. Yeah. Yeah. So what, when people say scale, I would like to, to hear, like, what do they mean by that? Mm -hmm. what, what what does it represent in their mind? Like what what does what does scale, the word scale mean in people's mind? When I I remember consulting, uh, there were a lot of customers saying like, well, referencing to the big companies like Google, Facebook, and so on and so on. And I always said like, you know, being big is hard and painful. Don't be big if you have a choice. I mean, do a simple solution because those are easy to implement. So those are easy to handle and maintain. Mm -hmm. Like, don't create a problem where there is no need for the problem. Yeah. As those people, they got themselves in position, and it's probably good for the business that they have this scale, this amount of data volume and data requests, uh, those re volume of requests coming in towards them. Yeah, they have to face it. But if you don't have to, don't do that because being big is hard. And like, you know, it's the same argument with people saying like monorepo versus many small repos. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right. With a small repository, everything is very simple because it's like probably one application living there, probably written in one language, very easy to handle. You have a huge repository with a lot of stuff in there and then you need to have a custom tooling to manage it. Mm -hmm. Or like you need to have a custom tooling to do a sparse checkout so you check out only like this part of the repository and mm -hmm. then you can contribute it back without breaking history. It's hard. It's a mm -hmm. different type of scale of problem. Yeah, exactly. So exactly. if you have a choice, don't get yourself into this situation. <laughs> Break down the big thing and in the smaller parts. That's, I guess that's why we got all of this uh, microservice movements because managing the big monolithic application is complicated. Yeah, and, uh, but uh, in terms of um, rel relative complexity, right. I would argue that having to scale vertically in monolith mm. is an order of magnitude easier yeah, than, sure. than to scale uh, to, to build a distributed system. So building a, a monolithic app is, mm. is quite like I mean, you don't have the network in between. No, it's it's a function call away. So you mm. you're pretty sure you're gonna if you call a function, you're mm. pretty sure it's gonna get called. Yeah. If you send a packet over the network, how sure are you that the mm. packet is gonna get to the host or the the, the application that you, mm. you you think it's gonna go? And that's me. That's what it means. It's it's really shifting the removing the state, building stateless application yeah, yeah. and putting all the data where they belong, which mm. is in, in a database. And then you have to make connection pooling. And it, suddenly you, you're in dealing with the low-level um, networking where it would probably be maybe easier. I don't know. It depends on the, on the use case. But I would argue that it might be valuable to consider 
uh, optimizing the the monolith mm. by feature flag or or those type of things, then to actually convert it or or start building a distributed. Uh, System yeah, from scratch. I, I agree that it's uh, you have to think long term here mm. because, like short term, for sure, you can vertically scale, but at some point you're gonna hit hard limit mm. because no vendor will have the bigger machine you need. Yeah, I'm looking at you, one Swedish company doing a lot of Erlang. <laughs> now we're writing that in Java <laughs> in 2013, 2014 because like that company basically ran out of RAM. Yeah, they, yeah, came, yeah. they came to all the vendors and they said, like, "Well, if you come in a year, we might have like a more RAM, most less, a bigger server with a RAM, more RAM." But this is the top notch. We don't have anything bigger than this at the moment. You have to live with this, and then you corner yourself, right? Mm-hmm. Because like when you're hitting the hard limit, it's too late to start reengineering. So then you will have to start, you know, get the pieces of the system out and move it on some other servers. And that's probably too late because mm. you're already hurting. You're already, your, your growth is already limited. But that's, that's also the link between uh, software and, and people. That yeah. uh, sometimes you, you don't need to scale the software. You need to scale the organization. Well, so it, it, I don't know of any organization that has 150 developers working on a single uh, monolith. Mm. And they are very quick at the shipping feature. Right. So it, it, it's quite a, the the trade-off here is more well the the number of people you know the joke uh, I think it's Corey Queen that came up like your your cloud build is not proportionate to the number yeah. of customer you have it's proportionate to the number of developer you have yeah exactly and and so <laughs> it, it it's actually a very wise thing but because every team handle their own infra per mm-hmm. se. Yeah, they have their own pipeline, their own language, maybe, and it's their whole ecosystem mm. that they need to interact with other teams. Whether the team sitting in the same, even in the same office, they don't right. talk to each other. It's it's insane. Like uh, putting people on the same open space floor doesn't mean that suddenly they're gonna start collaborate. Mm. Uh, there is many things, and so some of them call it the meat cloud. Meaning that instead of adding more nodes, they add more people to the mm. problem, mm. which actually I'm make, not make, sh- makes it harder. Makes it harder because the communication, synchronizing among people, that human have such a low bandwidth mm. that it, it's not even worth it. Sometimes I think it's uh, it might be better to keep the team, the developer team, small mm. and tight, yeah. and and actually. Uh, you know, make them evolve the software in a way that makes sense for the business, not really for the tech, per- tech yeah. perspective. Yeah, not the CV-driven development. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, uh, it, it has its pros and cons for sure. I, I'm sure many. But like, if you, if you get back to scaling thing, right? So we define scaling, but if you, and we mentioned that there is a horizontal scaling where you add machines or like the entities that serve the traffic in and make them more or less depending on scale. There is a vertical scaling where you make those entities bigger to accommodate the traffic. What other criteria you know that people use to scale stuff? Well, it could be the... For instance, there are many strategies mm-hmm. for, for... Especially in the distributed system. Mm-hmm. It's insane the amount of 
uh, code you need to add to a system. For instance, one of them is um, thundering herd. Mm -hmm. Have you heard of that term? So basically, if you retry, you cannot retry at the same interval. You do an exponential retry. Yeah, so you yeah. try you after wait. one second. You have exponential back off. Exactly. And so that avoid that if a service doesn't answer, mm. you don't keep hammering it because yeah. it's like already underwater. Like stop, stop killing that. Yeah, uh, it's telling you 429. 429. <laughs> you got a handle 429. Why you keep doing this? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. It's a, it's a very uh, common use case. I should, I should teach my wife 400. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> if only you could speak HTTP status code. <laughs> uh, like it on the science, like I just write it like 429. Yeah. I work 429. <laughs> <laughs> Try one hour. Yeah, especially like after two requests, I would return it to 429 yeah. because I cannot handle more than one thing at a time. Eventually, like 403. But yeah, <laughs> uh, there is also the um, how's it called the uh, circuit breaker. Mm. Meaning that if you see that a service resp respond with error codes, they stop serving traffic to yeah. that. And uh, so, so, does it make sense to either bring a new node mm. or bring a new instance of the of the pod of the application? Mm. Um, and, and so suddenly, I think scaling is very much tied up to monitoring. In general, yeah. like you need, you need to scale based on a metric. Yeah, you need to have a metric. You need to have insight into what's going on. And CPU and RAM, to me, oh. are, are kind of like such a black box because I have no idea hmm. what the application is doing. Sometimes it could, like, I I remember that um, profiling application was such hmm. a valuable lesson because you know that uh, there is two things that cause. Um, Uh, CPU to, to spike. One of them is network latency, so mm. the CPU blocks and wait for the request to come back, mm. which is not very... It, it, it can be necessary sometimes, but it's a really CPU... Um, like the, the CPU is idle, but it's blocked. And um, there is another one that is... Oh, I lost... Uh, wait a second. While you're trying to recover, still like CPU... And RAM yeah. is something that you usually get out of the box with the most of monitoring systems. Yeah, but it doesn't mean anything. Like, you, you don't know. Like, no, basically, I, I agree, but like, the very simplistic case where you're serving the web traffic and suddenly you just 100% CPU everywhere, mm. it's kind of easy to do, like, right? That, uh, like, the easy, easy fix. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just to remediate the situation right now because yeah. you have a time to recover, you want to keep that short. Mm. Just throw the hardware in there, mm. and then you go do the profiling and figure out why it's so bad. Yeah, yeah. That's the first thing that people usually do. They scale on uh, CPU. Yeah. And RAM is not always available. You you actually have to do like for instance in AWS, you have to do additional hoops to True. get RAM. And that's what in, in and that's why my previous point uh, I, I lost it for a while. But it was like uh, while profiling apps, the most CPU intensive task is actually string manipulation. Uh -huh. Because a string in most programming language are actually uh, immutable, meaning you, you cannot change them in memory. You create mm. a new one. So okay. whether it's happening uh, one letter or um, concatenating string mm. to do regex are really, really CPU intensive. Mm. Um, all those strings manipulation are, are what usually clog the CPU the most. Like uh, by 90%. I'm not talking like a little bit. Mm. If you profile the app, I, I I don't remember a time where that was not the bottleneck in, okay. in CPU time. 
And on top of that, because you create uh, all those new strings, mm. the RAM might get also full. Mm. Because the, the garbage collection, if you have a garbage collected language, yeah, yeah. Um, can has to trigger, and that creates a lot, a lot of yeah. resource for just nothing. I I remember uh, profiling a Java app that was actually quite well written. Mm. The the sixty percent of the CPU utilization of the application was just JSON serialization, deserialization. So so by just breathing, you know, it, it was just using sixty percent of the CPU. All right, I'm I'm not following. How do I do scaling based on a string manipulation, a number of string manipulations? So so that's what I mean. Like sometimes the hardware. Adding more hardware is just a quick fix. Yeah. But you could reduce the consumption mm. of resources of your application just by profiling and finding where those string manipulation occurs. That's the best tip I can give to any programmer out mm. there is to look for string manipulation in the code. And sometimes it might not be even the code that you write. Mm. It might be the code in the library because they don't optimize or they don't profile it or it was just a small utility library. Right, but- you know, I could have a Swedish-level expensive developer doing a work week of work, or just throwing the another EC2 instance for it. Oh, penis. definitely, definitely. I, I remember a story. So in 2013, so it's like a business case actually. So like, yeah, definitely. It might be just cheaper having more more, more hardware than, than having people to fix it. And, and this day of age, hardware is almost always cheaper. Yeah, it's all, always cheaper than developer time. I, yeah. I don't know of one case where it's not. It, it's not the case. Um, the I think it's two thousand twelve or thirteen. So Amazon was one of the first one to use uh, Node.js. It was yeah. zero point one, hmm. and because it was such a new lang- like a new newly shaped language, there was a lot of memory leaks. And Amazon... Oh, yeah. uh, they were. They yeah. are. <laughs> <laughs> they probably still are, but they, they come a long way mm. since then. Like you, uh, They improved a lot, a lot, a lot. And the browsers as well. Mm. The, the, the idea was that because it was cheaper to restart the service after 10 requests than to actually yes. pay really expensive developer, go and try to find where the memory, memory leaks happen. It's just like, kill, kill it. Yeah, exactly. Like you also have, you know, the... The time to saturation. Yeah. So, like, if you just restart it once a day at night, yeah, problem solved. Exactly. It's it's brilliant. I, I love those kind of uh, cheap, inexpensive uh, fix because it makes like okay, we, we just use more. Sim- like I, I we, guess, we I use guess uh, people who like live with idealistic ideas of writing good software, like pulling their heads, hairs out. But <laughs> it, it, what does it mean writing good software? Because yeah, that's what 90% I mean. no, I'm of the saying code, like idealistic people. Yeah, but that, that's live like in theory everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, in theory, practice. Uh, what is it? In theory, everything works in practice as in theory. In uh, practice, it doesn't. No, uh, you understand. Like uh, it's uh, very. Uh, it's yeah, like that. So like, what, what does it mean network, writing? The network fails and all that, but people never account for that. But even like, what does it mean writing good code? Like, ninety mm. percent of the code that is that an application is built with is actually libraries written by somebody randomly on the internet. Now, the good code is the one that you don't need to change. <laughs> yeah, it just works. That's a good code for me because it's zero maintenance, right? Yeah, and those code actually, are, well, it tends to be really small and very narrow into the the domain that they're yeah. fixing. Uh, for instance, if you want, uh, I don't know, but uh, a B tree library mm. or a heap a data structure but library, you know, it don't. <coughs> even, you don't have to be able like be a smart. 
we have a story where we had like intern and we need to do a, like a garbage collection uh, in AWS. So we need to have a way to delete the instances, snapshots, stuff that is not needed. And like we do it on a tagging, tagging basis. Mm-hmm. So we have like a lambda that goes, checks the tags. If tags not in place, it, delete, it tags it for deletion and then next day it's going to delete it. So people have time to react. And it's also like publish the report to the Slack. And you check the code and then you want to unsee it. <laughs> but it works. We don't yeah. have to touch it. And I know. It, it works for three years now. The guys who came in, he wrote it. Well, for two, no, it's two years. And he wrote it in 2018. That was like almost first actual programs and runs in production that he ever wrote in his mm-hmm. life. Yeah. And it still works. Exactly. I mean, don't need to touch it. Like, we never touch it. And it works. It, it's amazing. You wouldn't believe. Like the, but the... if you open it, you want to rewrite it at the same yeah. time. But if it works, you don't have to. It's true. It's true. I, I know some uh, monolithic application, they have generated more than half a billion dollars of revenue mm. for the company. Yeah. And they look and say, like, we, we are never going to rewrite it. Yeah. Like this, it's this... a money machine. Yeah, exactly. Why like, would you touch it? It's, it's more... <laughs> I would say most organizations don't think there is a problem until mm. you, you define what the problem is. And the problem is they, there is more money that goes out that yeah. comes in. Yeah, exactly. So that, that's a re- really like the only problem company has yeah. is like, okay, we're not making enough money. Yeah, basically like you're scaling. Yeah. That's a business problem. Exactly. Because you have a lot of customers who comes in, who probably want to spend their money or see the ads or whatever your way you make money. And currently you cannot serve the traffic to them. Well, you cannot serve the content they came to see yeah. or the button they came to press, it's not available. That's a problem. You are missing out revenue. So you want to scale to accommodate that. And if there is not enough traffic, you want to scale down to minimize a lot, minimize the capital expenditure on the maintenance and maximize your margins. Mm-hmm. So it's, again, it's a business problem and we are solving the business problems. We are not writing programs for fun or for... Uh, Art of writing the programs. Yeah. We are writing the programs for business to make money so that business can share those money with us <laughs> in, a, in a way of being, paying a salary or, in our case, paying consulting fees. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So this is how it works. There, yeah, are no, there are no magic money in the world that just materialize in the company and then suddenly everyone gets a salary. No. You have other people coming in, making business with the business, with the company. That's how company makes money, and then it takes part of that money and pays the people who make it possible. Mm-hmm. It reminds me of a blog post I, I saw. How do you scale on the m- amount of money the company makes? Yeah, that's the magic. How do you scale money? No, no, it was like uh, GitHub Star won't pay your rent. Ah, and, and it was really interesting because uh, I, d- I don't remember the author of uh, that post, but it, I'm, I'm sure you Google it. It, mm. it should be. Uh, you should be able to find it. The The idea was really like, uh, we're not here to make perfect software. We're here to basically process money. I mean, that's that's what banks do. Yeah. Uh, you, you either process money or you process the data that brings the money. And so when you look into that perspective, you see the scaling problem is like, well, do we really need it? I, I know mm-hmm. that, for instance, uh, Basecamp, Mm. The the famous uh, uh, I'm not even sure what they what they are. Is that a, a project management tool? Yeah, actually, thinking to giving a try and giving giving away Slack. Yeah, maybe it's it's worth it. I, I don't know. I, I, I'm, 
I, I will report. <laughs> okay, <laughs> I have something good. to report. Good, good. Uh, but I, I remember seeing uh, the um, the author of the Ruby on Rails framework saying mm-hmm. like we we never sharded our database. Mm. It, it's still a single instance mm. running a profitable business. We don't intend to scale to yeah. massive amount of uh, you know people. We are here. We are profitable. Mm. The, the, when there is a performance uh, issue. We fix it when it occurs, and what because they, they measure, mm. and it's true that if you run, run a, a website like an e-commerce website, mm. milliseconds translate in in actually a lot of money. Right. Like if if it's slow, people will not buy as mm. much as if it's snappy and yeah. uh, really yeah. sure. So so that that makes sense. Like that, I would uh, if you have a change in the you have to make a change into the architecture in order to gain performance. Mm. And that translates into money. That's a very good business case mm. to say, okay, let's rewrite that. Because it's, uh, you basically know, you have the numbers. Yeah. You know, okay, this If is you the have the numbers, if yeah. you're not just speculating. But, but that's the thing. Uh, speculation means basically you don't have a strategy or that you don't have the, the information to make yeah. a strategy. And that brings to um, uh, Swordly Map. I always bring, I, I really love Swordly Map. I don't know if you know it. Uh, I, Simon I, I, Wardley, I might, but yeah, bring it on. Simon Wardley is he made ah, yeah, a, I yeah. he made a presentation at KubeCon. At mm. least that's where I, I know of him. Mm. And he wrote literally wrote the book and put it on Medium or something mm. uh, to about uh, mapping. Mm-hmm. So make maps because he says maps are actually something you can you, you use maps to navigate. Yeah. And how do you navigate the the landscape of the technology? Mm. And he made the very very good use case uh, for cloud providers that they, they actually know what to build because they know what the customer are asking and using. Yeah. And so they, they only build what is asked. Mm. So that brings to the fact that um, actually it might not be really what uh, the product owner of that company think is the user want. Yeah. You, they actually have data because they already have a user base that yeah. they, they ask feedback on. Uh, but it's like it's a dilemma because on one hand you have people collecting the customer surveys or collecting other type of data, and on the other hand you have people like Steve Jobs who are like or like Henry Ford saying like I know what customer needs I'm going to give it to them they don't know I know. Yeah, I, I see the point, but uh, so. I, I would say that uh, if you, I think it's in 2007 or something the. the on YouTube, you type mm. best marketing video ever with Steve Jobs, and they bring you to the seven-minute video about uh, why uh, Nike mm. is so is so pervasive. I mean, they sell clothes. How, how many competitors mm. do they have? And that brings the fact that because Nike doesn't say we are the best quality clothes, they, right. they, they, they value athletes and athleticism. Mm. So if you are, um, I don't know, the Hussein Bolt, or I'm not even sure it's with Nike. I don't know anything about mm. those. But the the idea is that the, what the brand is saying is that we are in athleticism. Mm. Athleticism. And that brings a totally different... Like, Apple never say, oh, we add more CPU. No. no. They say, it goes faster. Yeah. Your app will go faster. They, they talk to the customer about I, the customer. I, I, I think we start to move away from that topic. Not really, because it's been to the business. And scaling is yeah. totally linked to the business. So, for me, it's like the same thing. Do you okay. scale because you have more business or because you want to? No, but like, let's see it from another end. So, you're saying you have a, you have a, like a visionary and you have a people 
but making their decision on data. We have our listeners. And some of them might like to hear the business side of the thing, or some might come to hear the technical side of the thing. Yeah. So. <laughs> but I, I think that's why uh, so many technical discussions could be avoided. There could be, but now the question is... How do you scale? <laughs> How do we solve? Are we solving the people interested in the business and turning the this particular episode in a mini IT MBA type of thing? Or like do we speak actual technical terms about the scaling and implementation of that? Yeah, good idea. Good idea to talk about the technical side of things. And Because you lured me in with artificial define artificial intelligence defined scaling. <laughs> That's this topic. But we're not getting there, no? I don't remember that part. Maybe I, I talk so much. I haven't... Um, no, what I was saying, it's about um, uh, AI ops. This is like this so, is how you present it to me. This yeah, is yeah. But we talk about so many topics, it's hard to... to so that, that's to, what I'm saying. We have to keep focused. So AI ops... Man, it's it's uh, it's not so complicated. Like, let's say you have a Kubernetes cluster. Uh, you probably use the you know Prometheus mm. to gather metrics about the data. Okay. Those metrics uh, contains information about the health and the, the load mm. on on the cluster and the application. Mm. The the idea of AI ops is to actually use those data. The, the metrics, by the health metrics from mm. the app, and use a machine learning prediction right, algorithm. So you want to build a prediction of the scaling pattern. Exactly. So given the previous uh, curve of mm. the, the load, mm. how far do we need to scale, right. or how small do we need to scale to actually serve the traffic with, by having the best utilization of mm. the of the hardware. It's mm. like how to use hardware best for the lowest price because in the cloud you can scale up and down mm. and that's actually for for big big company i'm not talking like if you have three server and you try that's a, that's a total overkill yeah. but if you uh, some company have thousands and thousands of servers and if they can cut the, the like one cluster in half yeah. for half a day it, it's a, it's a lot a yeah, lot of money it's a big saving so those uh, scaling are really, really... Those scaling problems are really lucrative. Mm. And many companies actually do, uh, you know, those... Um, they just ask us access to your data. There is a whole industry dedicated to optimizing your oh, cloud. I, I, I used a couple of tools like that, but... Oh, the, the pro experience. Yeah, yeah, since we are not sponsored, I'm not going to call the names, and um, the experience wasn't so nice, but my experience was that if you have a kind of predictable load pattern. For instance, your online shop operating in a one particular country, your operation hours kind of easy to predict, like like about 8 a.m. to 8 p.m. or something like yeah. that. And the uh, thing is that the AI-based scaling is good when there are no anomaly anomalies. Mm -hmm. So it can work on a big data set, but then it will be like the average of your data set plus minus some threshold, but it's not so good at reacting to anomalies. So for instance, you have something like a Black Friday type of event. Mm -hmm. Yeah, some algorithms might know that, yeah, there's a kind of Black Friday coming, but 
you see what I mean? Like if there is something new happening or like you have a new offering, right? Yeah. Then like with AWS, they have uh, the lunch team. Like if you do a lunch in uh, AWS, they have a team that can come and help you scale during that event. You can order that as a, as a service. So I think the technology is kind of good. The whole thinking is good. Idea is good, but implementation is still a little bit lagging. So you adaptability is not there so for for 90% it works but those fringe cases you need to think how to accommodate and uh, yeah but that's that's for uh, I, I think it's two different type of uh, okay. pro- problem to solve so you have the prediction problem mm-hmm. and you have the anomaly detection problem so for security it's really useful like analyze all the yeah. traffic yeah. and figure out like what what is that uh, connection there or that mm-hmm. traffic there it should it, we never seen that before yeah. is it something expected or not and, and so those are two i think it's are two different um, maybe, algorithm maybe, that maybe. I, I never looked into the that. Sa- same data but two different algorithms yeah. that you have to use on the same data that give you different uh, results but it's the same data so you, you could your, your monitoring metrics mm. are one of the most undervalued um, data in the cluster I, I think just looking at those and that's why um, I think monitoring as a whole is underrated mm. because people are still using logging mm. as monitoring yeah. And I think that is uh, a cost. Yeah, logging is logging, monitoring is monitoring. It's two different things. Yeah, and, and that's, a, that's a really big sh- mentality, like a mind, shift in mindset, because m- monitoring, logging is basically a text file, right? You, yeah. you have a text file on a disk somewhere. Yeah, and those, you, you could do alerts on the certain patterns in the log. That will be as close to monitoring as it gets. So like all log rates, right? Yeah, but then you, you have to store a huge amount of files. And oddly enough, it, it's not that cheap to store that in a, in a, a service or mm. in a third-party company. Mm. The idea would be to change the mentality that, okay, you don't need to use um, standard output as a monitoring mechanism, you can actually use a database like Prometheus. Mm. Mm. Like that, that's the goal, you know, because those uh, data are actually really, op- it's an optimized storage for monitoring. Yeah. And on top of that, you have a query language. Yeah, okay, you, you, it, you have a text box and you have time series and those two different entities. Exactly. You work in different ways with those. Exactly, exactly. And so debugging, mm. um, <laughs> and that's why sometimes you see uh, app running in debug log level debug in production, and mm. they, they, I mean, it's almost like they run uh, the command line DD on mm. on on some yeah, app. Yeah. like it's a huge like terabyte mm. of text file, and you you pay for that amount. That ninety nine percent of it is actually just noise. Mm. Like you don't even know what it says, yeah. and that's why um, just a simple optimization is just to have. In contain- if the application is running in container, I always advise to only have two levels. Mm. Like errors for production, like you, you only care about errors. Everything that's the rest should be in a monitoring department, which mm. means store that in the database. Mm. And debug mode for when you debug locally, yeah. you, you want to run and see how to interact. You need to see, you don't, you don't need to run a database on, mm. your, on your laptop or your machine to actually see what's going on. And th- that alone could save millions to company. Like that change alone, mm. just to make sure that the monitoring is set correctly, would save so much outage about disk space being uh, disk being full mm. and uh, developer just stressing about finding bugs 
in millions of Luxan trees that probably most of them are useless. Let me let me bring you back. Okay. I am a, will be a bringer back type of person today. Yeah. So we spoke about we started to speak about uh, scaling. scaling on uh, CPU load or RAM load. We we spoke about scaling on um, on the string operations, if it is such a thing. Optimizing uh, the string manipulation yeah, yeah, to avoid yeah. load on the CPU. Yeah, yeah exactly. So it was less scaling, more using the resources you got. But then what other metrics would you use? Like, would you use, you mentioned like requests per second, right? So you need to, you need to define, with requests per second, you need to define the scaling criteria. So there is a beautiful tool for that that's called Envoy. Uh-huh. It was built Which for... Which is a proxy, basically, a proxy server. Yeah, it's a or very... HTTP server slash proxy server. It's a very, very intelligent, optimized uh, proxy server that mm-hmm. you put in front of your um, application, whether uh-huh. it's a monolith mm-hmm. or, or not. And it's just brilliant because it's it doesn't need uh, to be restarted. It uh-huh. can be co- dynamically configured. Okay. Which brings a whole set of security problem, of course, but mm. let, let's set that aside for a while. Um, this can give you the amount, in real time, mm. the amount of uh, connection per second, because it's the proxy. Yeah. The beauty of that is that Envoy has a Prometheus exporter. Mm. So you can actually um, pull the Prometheus met- uh, the Envoy metrics into right. Prometheus, and you would have in real time or near real time the amount of connection per second that you have and then if you're using that inside the kubernetes cluster right what's what stop you from saying okay automatic um, horizontal pod autoscaler mm. and plug that into it's not yeah, cpu the number of connection what i'm saying yeah exactly so you have a metric like uh, based on the request per second but what i'm saying is that you need to correlate request per second into the number of pods. Yes. So you need to know how much your pod, one pod, can handle before it starts to throttle connections, right? Yeah. So, and that requires some measuring and understanding what's going on. So, like, you probably want to actually translate that into CPU load. So, like, one connection per CPU load, like, how, how they translate. Or, or how would you do that? Um, I If I need to define such... Like you sold me on a request per second. How do I define that? But that's what I mean. Like that's why I recommend to use Envoy. Mm. Uh, yeah, but, that, but Envoy gives me the number of connections I'm getting now. Yes. But it doesn't tell me how many ports I need to serve it. No, but, but from there, if you know that you have, uh, let's say, ten connections per second, right? Which is really, or let's let's take one thousand connections per okay. second. You you can easily uh, load test one pod. Mm-hmm. See how it behaves for that amount, right? And maybe you don't you don't need to scale. Maybe one pod is good enough to handle that. Maybe I can vertical scale. And so th- those things are like there is two ways, two school of thought. Is either you um, create a temporary cluster and you mm. test it there, knowing that it's not the same as production, right. or the chaos engineering way. And I, I really like that approach because mm. it gives you real. Uh, real data in the real environment. Mm. But the, the, the prerequisite for doing a chaos engineering experiment, and it's called an experiment because mm. you have an hypothesis, you uh. do an analysis, it's like a very scientific uh, method, uh. is that the, the prerequisite is to have your monitoring mm. well set up. 
Yeah. And so that's why monitoring is like so, so important. Like you wouldn't believe the amount, uh, it's like security. It's an afterthought. You say, mm -hmm. oh, okay, I have my app. What, how, how do I know if it works well? Yeah. Like um, health, health check uh, endpoint. You know, you like for Kubernetes, you mm. need to have the slash health check. Oh, all like around a script or whatever. You, whatever, yeah, you what, have. whatever you have to say that, okay, how does Kubernetes know the pod is healthy or mm. not? How do we know if it should serve traffic to it? Mm. And those questions are like, okay, it bring, it boils down to this. What does an error mm. means for that pod? And that's the difference between, uh, you know, for instance, HTTP status code 400 or 500. Mm, right. Like, is, is it really the service that is broken or is it a downstream service? Mm. And so now you, you have those cold chain. So the first service called the second, called the third, and there is a problem in the middle. So now you're bringing in tracing. Exactly. And those trace are like, it's like next generation. Most people don't understand what's, what those trace are for because they know what, like what the service call is not that, you know, super complicated. The interesting idea is to have um, information over time for mm. this metric. Mm. So you know that over time, the, this call is getting slower. Mm. And you want to narrow down the bottleneck because now it's not like your own little service. Mm. Your, your service could be really optimized, mm. but the downstream service is actually really slow. So it doesn't mm. matter how much you optimize. It's like you have a, a, a pipeline, mm. and in the middle, you have a bottleneck. Doesn't matter what you do before the bottleneck mm. or after the bottleneck. Mm. The bottleneck is still there. You cannot go. It's like the weakest link in a chain. Okay, so see, uh, basically, if I want to do request-based scaling, I would need to set up an experiment, do a load testing, and then see how much my system, how much requests my system can handle uh, at its current state, how it's currently written, with the amount of ports or resources serving traffic I have and then based on that set up my scaling policy right yeah but it sounds like a lot of work why, why, why don't I stay with CPU because CPU is easy like 80% scale up less than 80% scale down you're more welcome than to stay with CPU it's like more like we talk about high High, I'm talking about high scale, so more than 10,000 connections per second. Okay. So, so usually in those cases, you usually don't have downtime. Mm. So you you still have to uh, work with a production cluster and real right. data, and you have to plan for uh, recovery. So mm. you want to limit, and that's why in site reliability engineer they have an error budget, right. meaning that okay, we we didn't uh, have many errors this month. We can do an experiment. Mm to improve the resiliency of the cluster. Right. And that's what the, the site reliability uh, mm. engineer book is all about. It's more like, how do you, how do you know what's wrong in your cluster? How mm. do you go about it? Instead of, I tell you, from experience, it's the best feeling ever because you are so, you feel like you're in charge, you're in control of mm. what's happening into your cluster. Mm. You know how to recover. You know how to, uh, you know, scale up and down. You do, you do the thing. And the first thing I recommend to try is just, you know, spin up a, a Kubernetes cluster, mm. scale one node up and one node down and mm. check which node is killed first when you scale down mm. because that's going to impact, uh, you know, if you have a cache, if you have everything. Now, do the same thing for pods. Mm. See, scale a pods and scale it down and see which one gets killed first. Oh. And, and, and those, those type of questions, you like... 
you don't even have the question to ask yet. Yeah. The, the experiment will tell you what happened when we do this. Yeah, that brings us to like uh, scaling strategies. So how, exactly. how, how do you scale? Like, do you bin pack everything? Yeah. Or do you spread round out robin. or yeah. round robin? And that's a whole topic that I'm a not sti- sure if we have time to cover. No, sticky sessions are really big. Uh, if you have state stateful application, should, should we save strategies for next time? <laughs> it could be. Because Scaling it, strategy is a really because really it feels big. like that we are getting closer to an hour, aren't we? Yeah, fifty-two minutes. So I probably we should probably wrap, wrap it up so we keep it like under one hour and it's still listenable for people. <laughs> <laughs> We're not tired of hearing our voices. Yeah. All right. Well, we talk about a lot of things today, like scaling. Oh, we did. We did. Like we started with scaling, and we did a mini MBA for IT developers. We talk about uh, AI ops. Yeah. We talk about. We, 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 we touched. I was. We touched it. We touched it. We just describe it briefly. Yeah. yeah. But uh, that was it. Yeah. So it sounds like if we wrap it up, so it sounds like. Scaling is hard. Scaling is hard, but and maybe you not you don't need it. Maybe like maybe like start start small. Start with the most available thing, like CPU, for instance, and build from there. See if it works for you. Mm. And I can echo you on uh, doing the lot of testing experiments and doing them frequently because you you test it once, but then some time goes, the application actually changes. You might try to use the time wasting activities. Uh, but you never know about them, and if you have, if you don't test again, so you have to retest it like quite often to know. Well, at least at least if you don't have sufficient traffic in the system, and you traffic is spiky, you you want to do that. But if you're getting like the static load, static amount of load, which like steadily growing, but it's not growing in spikes, and you might be fine, mm-hmm. and you can have that load to actually be your load loading experiment. Well rounded up. Yeah. Thank you for listening. That Thank was Matthias. We are missing you. Come that was Dev. <laughs> that was DevSecOps. You can find us at DevSecOps.fm uh, for if you want to listen to the previous episode or find the notes of the show. Yeah, every, every show note, every episode will have show notes with the links to what we talk about. We have a Gitter channel if people want to come and join the discussion. Yeah, the link is also on DevSecOps.fm on the homepage. So we would be happy to see you there. And uh, you could actually follow discussion how we discuss what would be the next episode. Uh, you could suggest topics, throw in news, and just talk to us. We are happy to hear from you. You have been listening to the DevSecOps podcast with Matthias, Andre, and Julian. For more podcast and notes go to the webpage devsecops.fm. Thanks for tuning in.